Praise God. It's good to be with you this morning. And I trust that you will all have a blessed and holy new year. It's, um, it's always a bit daunting to be given a subject to speak on. Because there has to be a certain discipline within that. And uh, one thing that I am not, it's exceptionally disciplined. And uh, to have notes to send before I actually stand up to speak, usually no idea what I'm going to say. And, uh, but uh, it's dreadful, really. But um, it's been very good discipline, actually, and it's been very good. Uh, the subject that I've been given is God is holy. I discovered as I was preparing for this that probably the least uh, adequate person to talk about it was me. Fortunately, during my um, daily readings, I've been just uh, going through the book of Leviticus. That great, exciting, wonderful, informative book uh, for insomniacs, <laughs> but nonetheless, absolutely vital for us to understand about the holiness of God. I know that because we are under grace, we are not now under law, and uh, because we are Gentiles, and if there are any Jews here, uh, I've apologize that you're not a Gentile in that sense and this bit doesn't refer to you if you're Jewish actually the law still is uh, you've still got something to do about parts of that but for us the ceremonial law is not part of our uh, daily rituals and uh, when the apostles wrote to the fledgling church uh, they said that they weren't to be pressured with the law, uh, as Peter said uh, in his defense of going to the Gentiles, the law that was given which neither we nor our fathers could keep. And so they recognized uh, the impossibility of keeping the law in their own strength and in their own power couldn't do it. Okay, um, we're not under that but when you begin to read in the book of Leviticus the regulations for approaching God in the holy place you begin to realize that God being so infinitely holy has to set requirements for people to approach him. Because we cannot look upon the glory and the holiness of God and live, the scripture says. For the ministers, the priests particularly, there was a system to go through before they were able to enter in, uh, into either the holy place or the holy of holies. There were clothes that they had to wear, washings that they had to go through. And if they missed anything and still went into the presence of God in the holy place, they would die. Such 
is the holiness of God. I mention this not because we have to go through those cleansing rituals. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can enter into God's presence through him. The new and living way, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it does not mean that we can enter into the very presence of a holy God flippantly, lightly, and in the way that most of us still do. God is holy. Holiness, God being holy, it's difficult to explain, but I've got some thoughts here that I hope will help. Holy is to be separate. God is so far separate from humanity that we cannot begin to fully comprehend the majesty of his being. Isaiah says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God is distinct from every other creature in the universe. And to use the term creature is not right when we're talking about God, because he is not a creature. He has not been created. He is. God is. And so different from anything else. Because he is the creator of all. He is separate from us. He is distinct from us. Uh, and, and I've used the term, if you've seen the notes, I don't, I don't know if they're posted yet on the web. But if you have, I've used this term other. I claim no credit for using that term myself. I've borrowed that from another preacher. Uh, and let me recommend this other preacher to you. If ever you can get, you, you can't uh, go and see him. Well, you have to dig him up if you do that. But uh, he's, he's since died. But you can get his ministry on the web. And I, I do encourage you. Uh, the man's name is Art Katz. And he died about 1998, thereabouts. Uh, I think it was about then. And his ministry had a prof- has had a profound effect on me. I met him in Canada before he died, obviously. It would have been no point meeting him after. Uh, and, I, and I met a prophet of God. And he uses this, this term. God is other than. Just because there is no other way to describe. He is so far removed from what we can begin to imagine. That's why Jesus had to come, you realize. Because we, we, we could not conceive of how great and mighty our God is. And, and holy is separate. Separate from us. Separate from everything else. And certainly separate from sin. For in Him... There is no sin. And you see, for most of us, the concept of eternity is beyond our imagining. It's a term we can use. We, we talk about eternity and what we think about is it's a long time without an end. Uh, 
But of course eternity has nothing to do with time. It's a completely other dimension. And uh, I'm not going to go down the path of quantum physics and all of this. You can search that out for yourself. But it's another dimension. Eternity. beyond. But God is eternal. No beginning, no end. Can you conceive of that? I can't. I mean, it bothers me if I try. I I stop trying after a bit because I think I'm going to go mental in a minute. It's going to drive me crazy trying to, to imagine a concept of which I have no idea. But God is eternal. No beginning, no end. The immensity of God is seen in the splendor of the whole scope of creation. And that's all under his control. The whole scope of the universe under God's control. So great, so mighty is our God. All things made by him at the word of his voice. Apart from us whom he fashioned. With his hands. That's a marvelous thing to think as well. It's another sermon. I'm not preaching that one now. But the universe came into being at the sound of his voice. He spoke. And it came into being. God is other. Because we have no point of reference with which we can compare him. Nothing can be compared. To Almighty God. Let us rid ourselves of the human conceit that we can fathom the Father. We cannot. No matter how great your mind might be, and I'm absolutely sure that people here have minds that are far more capable of understanding stuff than mine, but we will never be able To fathom the Father. He is so far other than we can believe. And the Bible tells us that when we see Jesus, we shall be like him. But it doesn't say when we see the Father, we shall be like him because we won't. We will be like Jesus. We will not be like the Father. Which was the temptation that Satan threw to the couple in the garden and said, you will be as God. But only as far as knowing the difference between right and wrong. You realize up until the time they sinned, they didn't didn't know the difference. Because there was no need to know. They didn't know what wrong was because they didn't do wrong until they did wrong. So I had no understanding of it. He alone is awesome. And that's a word that's losing all meaning by the way in which it's used to describe the slightest out of the ordinary event or human achievement. And we say it's awesome. No, it's not. Awesome can only be attributed to God. He is awesome. And when we come into his presence, we should reverence such a one with the awe that he deserves. Now, scripture says that we are to fear God. Part of that is his awesomeness. 
the immensity of God. The fact that we cannot understand, we cannot grasp God, if you like. And there's a fear in that. Of course there is. Something that is beyond our reach. And so it should be. Awesomeness of Almighty God. Separate, distinct, other, holy. Not able to look upon sin. You know, God can't look upon sin. When Jesus was on the cross and and our sins were heaped upon him, God had to look away. That's what Jesus was worried about in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not so much the fact that the sins of the world were going to be put upon him, which was horrific enough, but that God was going to turn his back. Because he cannot look upon sin. And no one knew that more than Jesus. And look, I'm not, I'm not speaking for a, 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 a triple Godhead. We talk about a triune Godhead, but each part of the Godhead had different function. Although they were all co-equal, co-creators, co-eternal, yet different function, different ministry, if you like. And the Bible tells us that when all things are delivered up to Jesus, he lays them at the Father's feet. So that God is seen to be Lord over all. Absolutely immense. The holiness or the holy God whom we approach. No, uh, we're talking about his holiness. No, no, no so- sinful mortal, read it right, can approach the holiness of God and stand in his unclouded glory. There are no words adequate to express the majesty and the glory of his holiness. Untainted by any sin, No darkness at all. No shadow. Just inexhaustible light. There is no limit to his holiness. The word talks about the the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Uh, No need for sun, no moon there. The Lamb is the light. But there is no shadow there. The light that emanates from him does not cast a shadow because it lightens everywhere and everything with the same light. So there is no shadow cast. In him, there is no shadow of turning. We can scarce begin to comprehend the lightness of the light of God, the brightness of the light of God, untouched by any darkness at all. And we cannot understand that yet because we are, every one of us, touched by darkness in some way. From the moment of our birth to the time of our death, we know what darkness is. There is darkness even within us sometimes.
Only his light dispels the darkness. John puts it this way. This then is the message that we have heard of of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. There's no equivocation there. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying. Now that means continually being in it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light of God. That's where we have fellowship with one another. And that's where he cleanses us from all sin. Our fellowship is not just based, you see, on some sort of uh, club mentality. Our fellowship in Jesus Christ is based upon this, that we walk in the light. That we don't hide things. But we walk in his eternal light. Our holiness. God demands... And commands that we be holy. Some people think that all God wants us to be is happy. I've spoken about this before. Oh, God surely wants us happy. Listen. God is okay you being happy as long as you are happy being holy. But if you are not holy, you will not be happy. Okay, you work it out. I am the Lord that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He's saying this to the nation of Israel, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And if you think that's only to the Israelites, Peter reiterates. But as he which has called you is holy, so you be holy. In all manner of conversation, the word conversation there does not just mean speaking to one another. It means in the manner of your life, how you live. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God cannot tolerate unholiness. We cannot enter into his presence if we are unholy. There's a chorus that uh, uh, was extant some while ago. Come, now is the time to worship. And then the next line goes on to say, come just as you are to worship. You cannot You cannot bring people into worship just as they are. Something has to be prepared before we can enter into worship with God. 
This is what our holiness is about. This is why we tie in with the way that the priests and the people used to have to come before God. We can't, we, it's not our outward appearance so much, although I think to some extent we need to uh, look at that as well. But it is the, our heart. You know, we use an excuse that uh, when David was chosen as king, uh, God had said to um, Samuel, God looks on the heart, man looks on the outward appearance. But always remember that second part of the phrase. Man looks on the outward appearance. God can see your heart, but men can't. All they can see is your outward appearance. And if we are to be testimonies to the Lord Jesus Christ, our outward appearance ought to mirror our hearts as well. But that's another sermon, and I'm not going to go right into that today. But it's all part of being holy, you see. Because holiness means that we take note of what God has to say, And to come to him as he demands and commands. So, is your life right with God? Have you been born again by the Spirit of the Lord? And if you don't understand the phrase, well, you best come and see somebody afterwards... Well, I've spoken in churches and and people have said, do you have to be a born-again Christian? What other sort is there? The Bible said, Jesus said, you must be born again. It's a foundational fact for being part of the kingdom of God. Just like you must be born if you're going to walk on this planet... You must be born again if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God. And if you have not been born again by the Spirit of God, that means you've not come and surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, allowed Him to become Lord of your life. If you've not done that, then do it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You have to kneel and confess your sin to God and ask that he will cleanse you from every spot and every stain. There's one thing that we can learn from the scripture all the way through its history. It is that mankind is not holy and cannot be made holy by their own efforts. If that could have obtained, do you think that Jesus would have had to come? I find it incredible sometimes that people don't stop to think about some of the foundational facts of our faith and try to change it and and try to make it easy for us. God has done all that there is necessary to be done for us to become holy people. There's, There's nothing more that he could do. Because not only did he create us in the beginning, not only did he provide salvation for us before the the time began, before we were placed on the planet. And when Jesus came and shed his blood to provide that salvation, that sacrifice for our sin, God didn't leave it there. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he sent 
Holy Spirit. And, and do note the title, Holy Spirit. If you want to be holy, you need the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the church has done such a disservice over the centuries to, to what God has intended by separating us off and, and calling us by a name. So if we uh, uh, say that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're either charismatic or Pentecostal. No, we're Christian. Born again by the grace and the power of God. And he said, be filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot be holy in our own strength. It's not what we do, it's what he's done. And it's what we surrender to him. Dare we surrender it all? Oh, friend, I've spent times and times and times in God's presence wrestling with this. We sing, I surrender all, a lovely old hymn. But oh, so easy to sing and so difficult to do. To surrender all, that means I've got to surrender my right to myself up to him. Everything. That he then, he then has control of my life. He instructs me on what to say. You see, the, the life, the, the only life that we've got that we can see that was like this is the life of Jesus. And, and he said, the things that I do are not mine. It's what I see the Father do. The words that I speak are not mine. They're his. And we have a church across the world that is trying to redefine the gospel. We've got people that are redefining scripture so that we can indulge in all manner of sinful, unholy activity and still say, I love the Lord. If we walk in darkness and say that we love God, we lie and do not the truth. So then, what am I saying? That we have to be perfect? Am I preaching Christian perfectionism? Uh, you know, that we can live? No, no, not at all. We have to be perfect before we can get into heaven, by the way. You can't get into heaven with any imperfection. You know that. You know that. No sins allowed there. But thank God. On the confession that we make to him. If we confess our sin. He is faithful and just. To forgive our sin. Do note the if. It's only a tiny little word, but it's very, very important. There's lots of ifs in the scripture, and you need to go through them and see the ifs. 
because we think we can ride roughshod over the ifs, but we can't. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. One would imagine, and, and this is now not exegesis, it's eisegesis. That's just a bit of Greek that I know about theological things. That's reading into it. But one would imagine that if we don't confess our sin, we won't be forgiven. But that actually is not what the Bible says. The Bible just says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So let's look on the positive aspect of this. That we can be clean. Daily we can walk clean in the world if we confess our sin. And he will then cleanse us. But look, the Bible also talks about repentance. You know repentance means turning around and going the other way. Okay. So there's sin. Okay, sin's there. So sin's there. Whoa, whoa, sin's there. That's what repentance is all about. Not going up to it, embracing it, and then saying, oh, sorry. That's not repentance. That's daft. Exodus 15 and verse 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? Glorious in holiness. Fearful in praises. Do you ever come to him fearfully bringing praises? You see, the, 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 the most fearsome thing about God is that he forgives sin. Not on the basis that he loves us. Oh my, if it was as easy as that. He doesn't forgive us sin because he loves us. He forgives us sin because Jesus hung on a cross, bled and died for us. And that was done before the foundation of the world. The preparation was made for us to be forgiven. It cost God everything to forgive us. So run not away with the idea that for some unaccountable reason we are God's favorites. God did this for the whole of humanity, for the whole of time, through into eternity. I think there's a song, one of Graham Kendrick's, I'm special because God has loved me. Well, yes, it's true, but we're special amongst every other special. I'm not separated out because of who I am, or because my brilliant intellect and wonderful, wonderful physical features. I'm special because I'm part of the kingdom of God for which Jesus Christ died on the cross. And every other person that's in it is as special as I am as a result. Not because of us, but because of him. He is the one that makes us special. 
We live in a world that is self-obsessed in a church or a church culture that is self-obsessed. We talk about being self-aware, self-esteem. And you look into the scripture, you know, we find that what Jesus died was to deliver us from our self. It's the self in us. The me, the ego, the me bit that is being in rebellion against God. And still given the opportunity. Will try to assert its own independence from God. We are not in any way independent of Almighty God. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that I ever shall be. Not by any achievement of mine. Not by any searching, digging, any theological training. Not by because I'm a preacher or whatever. And whatever you are, it's not because of that. We are what we are by his grace and by his grace alone. Never, ever forget it. Because part of the holiness of God is his grace extended toward us so that we can live holy lives. Bringing honor and glory to our king. You see, we're not here to bring honor and glory to our denomination, to our ministers, to whatever. We are here to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by living a holy life, empowered by him, so we can be witnesses to him, filled with his Holy Spirit. Walking in holiness. There's an old song in one of the old uh, hymn books, the chorus is, Holiness unto the Lord is our watchword and song. Holiness unto the Lord as we're marching along. I know two lines. But it's holiness unto him. Our God, our King, our Lord and our Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for every opportunity that we have of, of coming into your presence and you enable us to come into your presence through the blood that Jesus shed. We thank you that we have times of, uh, together where we worship and we praise and we uh, hear your word and we, 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 Lord, share fellowship with one another. We thank you for that. But we know on a daily, daily basis, we are called to live our lives in such a way that it brings honor and glory to your matchless name. Of course, you came and, oh God, you died that we might have Salvation, you died that we might be free from the power and the penalty of sin. You died that one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. 
And you died that we might be witnesses unto you and to your glory and your holiness. We seek your face afresh that God you might touch our hearts once again. And that they might be the fire of the Holy Ghost breathing through every one of us as we are living testimonies to your grace and your glory in the midst of a world that is keeping you at arm's length at best and waving their fist in your face at worst. Help us to be such witnesses that people take note and see that we've been with you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. And the Lord bless you all. Lots.